Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Greg Rand. Thanks for being on the show, Greg. It's great to be here. Thank you. Greg is the chief strategy officer at Renner's Warehouse, building the first national brand dedicated to investors in the housing market, a technology company, a real estate company, and a property management company. And Greg, you know, thanks again for being on the show and uh, tell the listeners a little more about uh, just who you are and what you're doing. Sure. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so as the bio said, um, I'm the chief strategy officer of Renner's Warehouse. What it didn't say is that they just bought my company uh, in January. So just a little while ago, uh, I was CEO of a company called Own America. And what Own America was, was a platform for single family rental portfolio owners to buy and sell portfolios to single family rentals that were occupied and performing so something akin to buying and selling apartment buildings, but instead of apartment buildings, there were scattered houses that were generating rental income. Um, we, uh, we were operating for nine years in that capacity. And then last year, it became clear to us that being an online platform was underplaying our hand and that the world didn't have a brand or a national real estate company that was dedicated to single family rental investors. And it's a big sector. It's getting bigger. Uh, so I was friends with the uh, senior management over at Renner's Warehouse, which happens to be the biggest property management company for single family rentals. They've got 41 branches across the country, 25,000 doors under management. And so we basically, they bought us um, and we're building a real estate company on top of a property management company so that people around the country, big, small, and in between that want to accumulate. Well, the way we put it is that you're accumulating shares of the country, right? The house is the instrument. The investment is Denver, Colorado, Charlotte, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas. That's the investment. The house is the, is the instrument through which you take that position. And we handle everything from you know, analysis and portfolio planning uh, to local consultants on the ground, advisors, real estate brokers to help find property, acquire them, and then handle the management you know, decades into the future. So we're excited about it because we think that real estate investors are an awesome breed of people to be in business with. Uh, but single family rental investors haven't had a company to go to. So that's us. Nice. Nice. So, you know, obviously, you know, you and I discussed, you know, just how, you know, we were going to, we were going to talk about how single, single family uh, fits into the commercial space, you know, and that's really your business. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'd love for you to elaborate on that and let's kind of dive in there, but then also get into how people are syndicating these portfolios of single family homes. Sure. So single family rentals has become the, the latest food group in commercial real estate, right? It's been around since the pil pilgrims landed renting houses, but yet um, office and retail and industrial and uh, shopping center and hospitality. These were all the food groups in commercial real estate that had been consolidated. A lot of institutional capital got into that business. A lot of experienced syndicators built, you know, substantial portfolios, but over here, there was this sort of kissing cousin asset class of single family that largely because realtors don't see houses as investments. Realtors see houses as something that you live in, that you own. It's an owner-occupied industry. So the industry that would have been the one to professionalize the asset class just didn't do it. So it took a housing crisis, and that housing crisis drew a lot of attention. And then Wall Street finally got involved. That's been our clientele for nine, 10 years. 
Um, when they got involved, we had to very rapidly figure out how to use the data and the technology and sort of inflict professional management systems in. But what we find the most interesting is that multifamily and single family are basically the same but different, right? It's housing in America. The tenants live there. Uh, it's a different type of tenant, different phase in their life very often, but really it's the same thing. And where decent operators can pull out a 60% NOI in multifamily, they can with single family also. So the management is more complicated because they're spread around. But on the other hand, the tenants stay longer and it tends to even itself out. But here's the thing that I find the most fascinating is that back in the 1980s, you had government deregulation that caused banks to do some uh, risky things with lending. And then what sometimes happens after risky lending is that you had a turnaround and the market crashed and you had a lot of distressed property. And then what happens is that distressed property trend was a dinner bell to a lot of capital that came into the space. This is all back in the late 80s and early 90s, right? So deregulation, good job, government, crazy lending, bad lending decisions, distressed property, Wall Street capital comes in and then Wall Street capital says, you know what? All these multifamily apartment buildings that we bought, we like this. It generates a good yield. We understand the operations now. Let's stay here. Okay. And then now 20 years later, more than half of all the multifamily in this country is owned by institutional capital. Okay. So if I can sort of play out, mime out a, a bar chart here, $3.6 trillion worth of multifamily assets in this country, more than half of it, about 55% of it is institution owned. 3.1 trillion of single family rental, not single family home ownership. Okay. But single family rental, people living in a house that they rent is the $3.1 trillion asset class, which is comparable to the 3.6 trillion in, in multifamily, but less than 2% of single families institution owned. So it was the same thing though. Deregulation in the 2000s led to bad lending practices, led to a lot of speculation, led to a market crash, led to Wall Street dinner bell. Capital came in for a trade, decided to like what they saw, decided to stay permanently. And so for syndicators that are coming into the space now, there is a food chain now. There's a gravitational pull by these big players that if you're somebody that syndicates 1 million, 5 million, 25 million, 100 million, you're still just one of the fish in that food chain. And the presence of a big whale on the end of the food chain is really good because you know that as big as you get, there's a place to serve that up later, recycle your capital, do it all over again. Hmm. Wow. No, I appreciate you laying all that out. I just went right, right through the timeline. Um, so, you know, I guess elaborate on, you know, people that are, uh, what should I be considering or, or syndicators that are looking at, oh, wait a minute, you know, Greg, should I be considering, uh, you know, a portfolio of single family homes and why, as opposed to just sticking to the common, uh, you know, commercial space or commercial properties, the, the typical commercial, uh, you know, uh, why would I consider something like this? I think the first answer, and I'm giving this answer not because I'm thinking it up now, but because we have a lot of clients that are syndicators. And the reason many of them have gotten into single family for the first time is because they wanted a new story to tell. They had a choice. They could either make a whole new set of contacts and tell their old story to new contacts or bring a new story to their existing contacts. Okay. So as an example, I'm guessing that a lot of your viewers are multifamily, right? That's one of the more popular syndication food groups out there. And what we're seeing is a lot of multifamily investors are beginning to see single family as that kissing cousin. And something really interesting is happening. That is that I saw some executives at a conference who were multifamily executives who were talking about 
that the cost of acquiring a tenant is so great and it just stinks to have them leave after a year. All right. And they're starting to think about accumulating. This is a guy that whose company has two or 3000 doors of multifamily in Tampa. And he's buying a couple of hundred single family around that in Tampa because he likes he's, he's got infrastructure for operations. He knows the market. He wants to go deeper in the market and he wants to hang on to that tenant because some of the tenants move out because they had a kid. It's not because they didn't like the building. It's because they had a kid. So here's a way to take your tenant and hang on to them for five years instead of one, do it all in the same market. So I, I, I think the short answer, which I'm never good at, by the way, so sorry about that. But the short answer is that it's a new, sexy object. It's a shiny object. It's something that not very many people know. And we're seeing a lot of interest among capital sources that say, hey, we'd like to get into single family. They're looking around for folks that have good plans and, and, and some experience or at least a good strategy to go with. So it's, it's a new open door. So do you find that, that most syndicators already have a, you know, like a, a fund set up and they're buying, say, 10 single families here, 20 over here, one or two here, then 30 over there? Or is it like, is there a place they're going and buying 50 to 100 at a time? Um, it's, it's all over the map, as you might expect, but we, we've been specializing for years in selling the, the 20 or 50 or 75. Okay. So our clients on the one hand is the entrepreneur or syndicator who bought 25 houses back during the housing crisis. Well, he got his recovery, right? His plan played out. There was only a seven or eight year plan. Seven or eight years is up. He wants to sell now and he finds us because uh, when you want to sell single family homes, every realtor you ask tells you to vacate the home first. All right. They know how to sell it vacant to a home buyer. Imagine somebody saying, oh, you have an office building. That's great. Vacate it first and I can sell it for you. You're like, no, thank you. But that's what happens every day. So they find their way to us. And then syndicators can make one play buy one portfolio. But there are others that are buying houses one at a time. They've got a thesis that says, I want these zip codes. I want, you know, only these kinds of houses. And so if I can't find a portfolio that meets my thesis, I'm going to assemble it door by door, which is a pain in the neck on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's very different than other asset classes like multifamily. You can't, you can't go into a building and say, I want all the two bedrooms, right? You got to take the one bedrooms and the studios with it. You can decide you only want three bedroom, two bath and only buy those. So it has this granular nature of the assemblage. Uh, it also has the granular nature that if you want to dispose, you say, you know what, I'm done with three bedrooms. I only want four bedrooms. You can sell your three bedrooms off, keep the four bedrooms and then accumulate more four bedrooms. So single family gives people flexibility that multifamily doesn't. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing. So it's just a matter of, you know, how do you want to do your execution on the acquisitions? Now, at least you can buy a portfolio that didn't even exist a few years ago. So how does the locations work? If I, you know, if I'm buying a large portfolio, you know, what, are most people buying those in one, in one market or is it, or, you know, are they scattered across numerous markets? Most investors are digging in deep in markets. Now, some of them have 20 markets they're into, but they try to accumulate to get scale because the operations are, are, you know, the, the scale for operations is an issue. It's one of the reasons why, the, by the way, that I wanted to do this deal with Renner's Warehouse is because we do have 40 locations plus, and you can buy 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, and 10 there and have a single point of contact. So that's part of the value add for us. But most investors decide, okay, I like you know, all the fundamentals of population. I like the migration. I like this. Uh, I like the job growth. It's not that crowded over here. You know, Charlotte's kind of crowded, but Columbia, not so crowded. Can't get the yield over in Nashville. Let me try Chattanooga. So they do their research on the market. 
then when they get there, they wind up digging deep uh, in that market and compiling a bigger portfolio in one place. And then maybe going to a second one, but doing it in a very measured way. So, you know, if they were working with yourself or Renner's Warehouse, I guess at that point, they've already, you know, I mean, you all are managing the property or Renner's Warehouse is, and then, um, you know, it would be an easier, easy transition to buy, start buying in another city that they're already managing those portfolios as well, correct? That's the concept. Yeah. And so you don't have to use us for management and you don't have to use us for buying property. We're an a la carte kind of a thing, but the the best execution for us is going to be somebody who comes and says, okay, I've got a four city acquisition program. I've got $50 million. I've raised part of it. I want to deploy it. And we basically can have a single account executive managing that whole relationship. One P&L broken up by market, but one point of contact and one consistent experience across multiple markets. Wow. So how, you know, I can imagine, like, I don't know, just thinking about like due diligence, you know, like, you know, going in and looking at a, an apartment community that's, you know, 300 units, all on one property. I mean, it, it seems overwhelming, right? But, but you know, we can have a process of making that happen. But if we were looking at even 50 single family homes that are all over the city, you know, how, pain, how yeah. do we it's do something pain. like that? <laughs> it's a pain in the neck. The um, We basically, we've got vendor partners. There are people in the industry that can deploy six inspectors at once, go do four a day, and they just, they just crank them out. So the due diligence is more complicated. Uh, but that's why I point out things like what's really interesting about single family beyond the granular nature of it, right? The idea of I can, I can sell one door, so you can't do that anyplace else. But also the fact that if the market swings, this is a mitigating factor of the pain in the neck of dealing with it. The mitigating factor, if the market swings in single family homes, overall, the economy goes in a downward trajectory. Um, rentals always win in those situations because rental demand goes up because home ownership goes down, right? But if it goes the other way, as it is now, and the market is strong, home ownership is growing, you win because you own property. Um, your rents are hopefully keeping up. But the point is when it comes time to liquidate, every one of those houses can be user-owned, the person who's buying it, or it can be investor-owned. And so depending on each, each unit, you have the ability to decide, how should I sell this? Should I sell this vacant to a home buyer because that's the opportune way to do it? Or should I sell it occupied to an investor? And that gives you a hedge against whichever way the economic winds are blowing. No, that's very interesting. I, I can see some pros, like you just said, you can sell depending on each unit, not just one large property. Uh, I can see, you know, in a in a, a market swings down, if you had to sell some, you could maybe get away with selling just a few and not having to sell a whole complex or, uh, right. yeah. That's one of the reasons why family offices are starting to like this is because they want to put $10 million into something, but they may want to extract a million in the future. And it's very easy to do that with houses. Hmm. Just, Kind of another way to diversify your, I mean, your portfolio all in one swoop a little bit. Yep. Um, so, you know, what else should uh, a syndicator be thinking, well, you know, when they're considering this type of portfolio? I mean, that I wouldn't even know to ask you. What else, you know, if somebody says, you know what, you know, I want to reach out to Greg or, or even somebody, you know, a competitor or whatever. What, what are some things we need to be thinking about to make sure we're making a good decision when moving forward on a portfolio of single family homes like this, syndicating them? I always appreciate a question like that. So here's what I would say is a, a lot of people, even ones that are experienced in investing, when they hear investing in houses, they automatically go to foreclosures, right? Investing in houses is buying a piece of junk and flipping it. That's what they think, right? And so there's, there's too many TV shows. There's too many late night gurus. There's too many seminars. And so like 80%, this is a decent stat, 82% of all the single family homes bought by investors are being bought to hold as rentals. 90% of the noise out there is about flipping. And so the first thing I would say was don't, 
you know, listen, you can buy turnaround properties. If your strategy is to buy properties and reposition them, there's plenty of that going on in the housing market. But for a lot of investors that I've met over the years, their strategy is low impact, buy a property, don't do much to it, have a high quality property. They, people come into this space and say, rental houses, they're small, they're dilapidated, they're in bad neighborhoods. Think differently about it. Okay, there's all kinds, every strategy that anybody's ever executed in multifamily from straight up the middle garden apartments to luxury high rises to 55 and older to assisted living to college towns, all those strategies all exist on single family. And so don't pigeonhole it into houses that have to be in bad neighborhoods with high tension wires overhead on a busy road. Think of, well, think of this. What is the number? 12% of the households in this country live in single family homes that they rent. 12% of the households. That's as many as drive SUVs. So it is a massive market segment, single family tenants. And they're all over the map. It's not just in that busy road. There's also, you know, every neighborhood you drive through has a substantial proportion of it are renters. You just don't know it because they don't advertise. Interesting. 12%. 12%. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, what else as far as, you know, I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to pursue this. And, and what questions should I be asking somebody like yourself when I'm pursuing, you know, portfolio single family homes? My favorite question is where should I go? where I can get a yield. There are, there's a lot of groupthink in this space, right? A lot of smart people who all decided in the exact same markets. I have been waiting for diversity of strategy. Like it's not, the only markets in SFR are not Atlanta, Charlotte, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, Houston, Dallas, and Nashville. There's other places in the country. And we've made a study of what markets are similar in terms of their fundamentals of each of those winners, but are maybe off the beaten track a little bit where they're not as crowded. The opportunity to go in, you go into Atlanta and you are David among the Goliaths, okay? Blackstone, American Home Threat, they own thousands of houses in that market. You go into Augusta, Georgia or Macon, Georgia, not the same thing. You go to Dallas, a little bit crowded. You go to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is like Dallas was 20 years ago. Hmm. So my idea is come into this thing with a creative mind, pay attention to where everybody is and think about going where they're not right? And try to discover the next markets that are popping because of things like population growth, gentrification, new employment um, opportunities coming in. Same way you would do with multifamily, but think in terms of, let me just not go up the middle. Let me see if I should zig a little bit while other people are zagging. No, I like that. It's hard to get out of our comfort zone and it's hard to think differently than we've always thought. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's also fun. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, Greg, you know, what's one way that, you, that you've recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours? Um, well, the consolidation with, with a, a property management company, that was, this could apply to anybody. I realized that I was one puzzle piece and I wasn't enough. Okay, I was vulnerable because I was an online platform that sold property. I didn't have boots on the ground. I didn't have management. And so what it's done for us <clears throat> is made us substantially more formidable because of the things we're able to do and the risks we're able to mitigate for our clients. So when I think about a syndicator and I look around and say, okay, if you're a syndicator, you're raising capital. Is there another syndicator over there that you get along with, that you think you a decent human being that you, you trust that maybe brings something else to the table? Maybe you're the numbers guy and maybe she's the hands-on operating type that can get, that likes to get, you know, under the crawl space. And I'm not saying they would get that physical, but the point is it takes all kinds. All right. My company, I was the business guy. I was the sales guy. I was the v envisioning a business. 
I found operators. I found technologists. We joined forces. All right. So be a puzzle piece mm. is my advice to anybody in business and see if that doesn't open up possibilities for you to accelerate your dream because you team up with somebody else who's got a similar dream. I like that a lot. Be a puzzle piece. Um, so what, what is the one thing that you would say has contributed to your success? The one thing, the never give up thing, man, we were nine years of startup. <laughs> All right. So we started this company a while ago and there were some lean times. There were a lot of years that we didn't pay ourselves. It was a, it was an R and D company. We were figuring out SFR. We were building technology, mastering data, um, and doing things that hadn't been done in this asset class. And there were plenty of times that I had, um, I had a wife looking at me saying, well, well you know, what, what gives? No paycheck again. Um, and that went on. It wasn't like again this week. It was again this year, no paycheck. So my success was based upon the fact that I believed what we were doing was going to work. Mm. I believed there was a space here. If I hadn't figured it out right yet, I had to keep working at it. And we didn't give up. And, uh, and we scored in the end here with a, a great new relationship. Now we're resourceful as can be. We're backed by private equity. We've got 350 employees and I'm not CEO anymore. And I have no problem with that, which is my mom was like, are you going to be able to handle that? I said, you know what? They've told me no, like three times and I accepted it. It was actually okay. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's, a, I really like how you even said that, you know, like nine years, you were a startup, but you just, yeah. you, you believed in, in your goal and, and you believed in the space and, and, uh, you know, and you've, you've made it, you made it work. Didn't give up. Yeah, well, we'll see. We, we got to this benchmark. So now we have to come through on all these big promises, but we're pretty confident we will. Now, now you probably, did, did you plan on, I mean, anytime, you know, say two years or more ago that, that you were going to sell this like this? No, I was raising capital. It turns out that I'm lousy at raising capital. <laughs> so I feel for the people that are listening who are out raising capital because I wasn't capable of doing it. I was raising technology company venture capital. What I learned is if you have too much of this color hair, you don't, you, they're not as exciting to people that, uh, 24 year olds were more exciting for VC than I was. Um, so we were, we were raising capital to build the business out. And all of a sudden this situation came along and it really, I really know the people well that run that company and I trust them. Uh, and we started thinking about the, the, the dream team that we represent in terms of the pieces that we all bring within our industry. It made a lot of sense. And so it, it was unexpected uh, and it happened very quickly and it was serendipitous. So is there a need in your business right now that you would like to let the listeners know about? A need in my business that I'd like to let the listeners know about. Um, you know, I hate to be shameless and make it sound like I'm pitching for clients, but I'm very passionate about the, um, the people that are new to this. Okay. So we were dealing with large professional and large institutional. My heart was always with actually the small retail investor. Like I love the idea that I know in 10 years, it's going to be very common to have mutual funds, insurance policies, and a handful of rental homes for folks that, that, that haven't done it. But I also am very passionate for the relatively small entrepreneur, somebody who's breaking into a new space. Um, so I love to stay in contact with people that are doing this. I don't need to get anything out of it, but um, I'm looking to interact with folks that are kind of sniffing around this opportunity right now. If I can be of any help, I'm happy to do that. We don't charge for our advice. You know, you buy properties from us and we let us manage it. We'll charge you for that stuff. But otherwise, just engage with us and help us figure this thing out together. Awesome. And uh, Greg, how, how do you like to give back? Um, I don't do enough of giving back. I'll be honest about that. So I've been one of those guys who's been like, I need to get and then I have something to give. <laughs> and so uh, you, I will get back to you on that. My, my giving back has been when somebody calls, I give. When there's a fundraiser, I give. I haven't put my back into anything in a while. 
Um, I actually met somebody recently who uh, provides housing for veterans. There's a lot of homeless veterans, way too many of them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to use this as the jumping off point that you... Uh, you asked me that question in front of a live audience or a, a massive national audience. And I had to be honest about how I'm not doing well enough. Let me report back to you in a couple of months when I take some action on this. Well, I think even even like you're offering to help people or, you know, answer questions. And you said people will reach out to you. I mean, that's still giving back, you know, helping the entrepreneurs that are just getting started. And that's that's also a great way to get back. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very into that. I love helping people that are behind me in the path a little bit in, in age or time and seeing if I can be of any help. But um, I did say that when everything in my financial world got stabilized, I'd be putting some extra energy in. And you just reminded me that that happened last month. So it's time for me to do the right thing. Cool. Well, Greg, you know, thanks again for for being on the show and just your time and expertise. And, and it's definitely a new subject, and especially in the syndication business that we haven't covered before. And I appreciate that. And uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about, about your business or your new company. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. My email address is grand at renterswarehouse.com, grand. Uh, link up with me on LinkedIn. That's the place I enjoy the most uh, in terms of social media. We've also got a YouTube channel. We put out a ton, probably two or three videos a day that we're putting out, just trying to teach the world everything that we know um, about this and try to engage people. So connect up with me on any of those platforms or just email me directly. Great. Well, Greg, thank you again. I appreciate the listeners being with us today. I hope you all all go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me and also go to the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, and and, uh, join so we can all learn and grow our businesses together. And uh, thanks again, and we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.